0: Welcome to the ALN Podcast Series. Today's episode is brought to you by the Andrew James Advisory Group. AJAG provides training in the ISO 55,000 standard, and our world-class training qualifies students to take the ALN A55K Certification Exam, an industry recognition of an individual's knowledge of the standard. Certified individuals add value to any organization's asset management initiatives, Realizing your ISO 55,000 vision need not be painful. Visit us at www.andrewjamesadvisory.com to see how we can help. Now, enjoy the podcast.
1: Okay, we've got uh, more people in now, and uh, I want to say my name is Mike. And I'm very happy to have my new friend, Rob Radvenovic as our guest today. Um, We met last week and oh my goodness, I fell in love immediately. (laughs) I fell in love with his passion for asset management, which uh, we share, so that's uh, we're we're buddies that way. But before we get into the talk with Robert, um, we're going to uh, thank our uh, patron uh, members and our organizational members without whose support uh, support, we're not able to provide these programs. And we said that 2022 was gonna be a breakout year for the ALN and we've got so much going on, uh, it's actually happening. So we're going to be having a round table on February 28 with uh, these speakers and more, how to achieve long-term success with the Infrastructure Investment and Jobs Act. Um, That should be spectacular. And then uh, we're starting a municipal asset management leadership web series on bringing a world of experience to U.S. local government, Uh, And that's in conjunction with our uh, new member Ascetic by uh, Dude Solutions. And our first program is with Ashay Prabhu, uh, founder and president of Ascetic on a, a proven approach to using asset management to solve fiscal problems related to assets. I've seen a bit of it and it's exactly what the U.S. needs. So we're very happy to be starting it off with a um, theoretic overview, but then we quickly get into the city of Greater Geelong, uh, Australia, who uh, is using these processes and Michelle Walker uh, met her Earlier this week also she's got uh, over a dozen years of experience with uh, municipalities in Australia and uh, has worked in the US as a consultant and other places Uh, she's going to bring a wealth of experience and. uh, insights to us and. Then we have our ALN winter summit to the uh, sustainable value creation from infrastructure asset leadership. And just today, John uh, Weiss, the chairman of the Michigan Infrastructure Council agreed to give the keynote, which will be followed up by a uh, discussion on more details about the Michigan Infrastructure Council, which is providing free asset management training to all of the infrastructure, owners in Michigan. Doesn't matter who you are, if it's your own infrastructure or public infrastructure, it's a training program based on uh, the Canadian network of asset uh, managers. And um, we're very excited about that. Also part of this uh, summit is going to be an international panel and Robert will be coming back, but we wanted to give Robert a little bit of uh, focus time before then. And then we need to get our uh, uh, next uh, on Thursday at 3 lined up, but let's not worry about the next one. Let's focus on this one. Hi, Robert. Thanks for waiting uh, through that long introduction. How are you doing? Excellent, Mike. Thanks for having me. Well, uh, I wish we had recorded our first conversation because, boy, were we clicking. But uh, we'll try to recreate some of that magic uh, with our usual opening question of, how did you get here? What brought you here in your asset management journey?
2: Well, it's definitely kind of been, I think like everybody, a a long and torturous one, it seems. Um, So a bit of background about myself is, I suppose about 20 years ago now, um, I actually started off my career in cadastral land management as a professional land surveyor so um, my work was very much about uh, helping you know define uh, land use extensive property boundaries how do we actually take land bases and appropriately manage them and uh, you know it's kind of funny that you know 20 years later sounding an awful lot like that's you know, the very first type of asset management is actually managing the land on which all the, the assets are based on. And then from there, I ended up migrating into the fields of uh, 3D laser scanning and in particular mobile scanning to create uh, digital twins and really quickly start building roadside inventories. You know, just being able to to cruise down a highway with a 3D laser scanner on a truck and actually as you're driving, create this sort of simulated reality of everything that you're that you're passing by um and the interesting thing is all
1: that was that was one of the reasons why i i liked you so much because of course it's about the information and if you can visualize the information even
2: better but anyway absolutely right and uh, but the interesting part about it was that a lot of my work was actually on the information gathering side of the fence right so you're out you're collecting these billions of points you're getting all of this very precisely georeferenced referenced uh, geospatial data merging it all together but then like what do you do with it what, what's the point of all of this diorama building right mm-hmm. and I was really fortunate that about five years ago um, I ended up uh, moving to a firm called McElhaney Limited um, we're a relatively large uh, engineering consultancy uh, based in Western Canada. And I'm there, I'm the manager of the Calgary uh, Engineering Branch. So suddenly, you know, I'm now working with all of these engineers, environmental scientists, landscape architects, planners, and I'm starting to see what we actually do with this information, right? Okay, so I'm, I'm not just collecting information about a road to have the world's most accurately mapped and modeled roadway, like this is going into answering a question. This is going to answer the question of, okay, how bad are my roads? Why are my roads bad in a certain way? Um, Why am I taking all this CCTV camera information in these pipes? It's because I'm trying to assess, you know, how much longer is a pipe gonna actually last? And so that actually got me uh, into the, what I call the end result of asset management, right? This whole pulling together all this stuff to actually answer questions to come up with you know what are my life cycle analyses how much do i have to invest and where and the really cool part about it from an engineering perspective we all get really excited about the numbers and the analytics and my excel sheets and all of this but the really interesting part is the policy part at the end of the day right because it doesn't matter. The question that I always ask students in this introductory uh, asset management course that I give at the University of Calgary, the very first question that I ask at the very beginning of the first lecture is I put up a slide of a paved back alley and a gravel back alley. So, you know, in the city that I'm in, in Calgary, I'd say about 50% of our alleyways in the backs are paved. The rest are dirt roads, right? And, you ask the students,
1: and I saw this picture. So what it is... It yeah you sent me the presentation
2: Uh, that's right
1: and so So, uh, just to describe it to people so that they understand it's a residential neighborhood the houses are in front the garages are in back and it's a uh, an image of a gravel alley leading to garages or would you rather have a paved alley to your garages
2: For sure right um and you know actually i'm gonna just bring up that uh that little diagram because i think it's really really important here right so you know you ask that question you ask which which driveway would you prefer the one that's paved or the one that's that's gravel and the first thing everybody says in that class is they want the paved alley of course i want the paved alley paved alley is modern um, I can play road hockey on it, which, being from Canada, is like the number one use of paved back alleys, right? But then we actually <laughs> sit down and we ask the students, "Hey, so what is the purpose of an alley?" And what they we go through and we realize, like, well, the only reason you actually have a back alley is to get access to your garage, to let the uh, the waste services come and pick up your recycling and your garbage. And in the neighborhoods here, we use the back alleys as a place where we bury our utilities. Um, And that's, you know, you got your sewer and your gas and your water running through the the back alley. So the back alley, paving it or not paving it from a level of service perspective is not actually going to the fundamental use of the back alley. So when I explain to the students, okay, now imagine we're gonna pave that alley. As soon as you have to fix a utility, we're gonna have to tear up the pavement, we're going to have to repatch it so your beautiful alley 10 years later looks like a checkerboard of cuts and excavations and repaves and by the way your property taxes went up 2000 bucks a year now because we had to pay for this pavement and then the response rate of would you really want a paved back alley drops right off the cliff right and i think that's the real interesting part about asset management is is the number important but we're trying to actually calibrate what people actually want out of their services with regards to how much it's actually gonna gonna cost
1: how about a back alley with a a trench uh that's got a a metal cover that allows access
2: oh now you can but then suddenly that's not a very good hockey arena anymore right so like Up here it's just purely paved or nothing because if the ball drops in there and it's game over for for all of us so but so as i say like from my perspective asset management is so much more than just purely a data science the policy part's the really interesting thing and right now i've described this before like you know it's kind of funny because i'm certain that a lot of the attendees on this uh on this webinar you know, our our old hands in the asset management world. Asset management isn't new, right? Like it's come out of reliability and and, uh, maintenance engineering fields from 1970. And then we get into the 80s and we start to get looking at like, oh, hey, we should probably calculate disposal costs on our, you know, North Sea assets. And then we're coming into the 90s and starting to actually put together guidelines and such, right? So, This kind of new buzz that's happening about asset management sometimes seems kind of weird that it's like the eighth iteration of the matrix. But what I think is really cool and very different is that what we know now is there's also a big push worldwide in terms of a recognition of the importance of sustainability and resilience, right, in terms of ESG. And of course, the UN. So a number of years ESG, years ago.
1: environmental, social, and governance.
2: Yes, indeed. And
1: then I'm going to ask you to, you know, once you are through with this part, uh, quickly. I want to come back to asking you about how you got here, and you've got the whole university side that you got to tell us about, but. I'll let you do that
2: after this. Don't ruin ruin the story. There's a whole narrative going going down here. So absolutely, right? So what we start seeing over the last couple of years is a real focus on the importance of sustainability and ESG. The UN comes up with its sustainable development goals. And so now if you keep asset management over to this side and you take a look at kind of globally what we're looking for as a push towards minimizing impacts on your planet, um, sustainability has a real vague and nebulous feel to it. Um, it's really susceptible to greenwashing, right? Everybody's falling over each other to say, "Oh yeah, we're doing things sustainably. We're doing things sustainably. We're ESG leaders." But there's no way to measure it. Now, certainly, we're starting to see efforts with the uh, Sustainability Accounting Standards Board in terms of trying to formalize the ways that you actually uh, document to describe ESG. But you got to think like sustainability at the end of the day is you know what do they say it's it's meeting the needs of the present without compromising the needs of or the ability of the future generation to meet their own needs okay mm-hmm. that sounds an awful lot like minimizing full life cycle impacts and to me I think that asset management is actually a key tool in driving Sustainable outcomes, because at the end of the day, if we want to actually do the most we can with the money we have, the number one thing is extending your life of infrastructure, which means understanding clearly what our wants versus needs and all the tools in our asset management practice provide the framework for us to actually be able to to do that right so I think that you know we discussed last time at the end of the day it was it was tax evasion that undid Al Capone. Um, So you can have these really neat outcomes out of what seems to be kind of like, you know, asset management's cool, but it's also an awful lot of accounting and a lot of like, you know, chasing numbers and doing, doing analysis like that, but it can have such an impact, which I think is so cool.
1: Yeah, that's one of the ways that uh, we bonded. I kind of uh, was overexcited at the beginning, but you totally understood and agreed with me when I gave my far out uh, explanation that we are facing a world of trouble together and every organization in the world needs to improve the management of their assets in order for us to have a chance to avoid the trouble. And it seems crazy but ISO 55,000 actually can be used by every organization to do this. So there, it's not a silver bullet,
2: but there's a path. There is a possibility here. Absolutely, right? It's about changing your mindset. And if you think about, you know, this certainly asset management is really, I would say, well adopted by private industries because there they can really clearly attach like a dollar value to hey if I actually maintain my plant and equipment well I can show life cycle cost savings that makes my shareholders happy away I go municipalities government organizations things like that have a little bit more of a difficult time of it because there's not that immediate feedback cycle of cost saving to shareholders happy to personal bonus right but when you think about how much infrastructure is managed by Municipal, state, provincial, national governments being even to just start to move the needle slightly in terms of those organizations minimizing their impacts by maximizing their uh, the stretch of their infrastructure has an outsized impact on sustainable outcomes globally, right? Um, yep. And I think it's really elegant.
1: Yes, Jim Dieter always says that if we just get you know a small percentage improvement on the U.S. federal you know, assets, that's huge. So, you know, totally aligned. So uh, before we get to Beal's, uh, Boyd Beal's uh, provocative question about sustainability, tell us about you and how you got into uh, the academic field and PhD, and now you're trying to set up a, an asset management sustainability infrastructure sustainability course.
2: Yeah, so um, so I've been involved with the University of Calgary for the longest period of time. Um, I received my doctorate there, uh, like back in back in two thousand, if one can even imagine that far <laughs> back, two thousand two <laughs> to be exact. Um, but uh, but anyways, I've always been active in in teaching and research and so on and so forth. And as I said, like in my journey, I had started from the from the cadastral management to the digital twins to getting into the uh, asset management piece of the equation. And the one thing that I'd realized is that, um, you know, as an asset manager, one of the biggest pains in the rear that I go into is the fact that folks don't get asset management, right? Um, Despite all our efforts, there's still a lot of work to be done in terms of raising awareness of like, the effort involved in asset management, that asset management isn't just simply saying one day, hey, I wanna do asset management, I'm buying a piece of software and I'm done, asset management, right? This is a continual improvement process. This, This takes effort, this takes resources. It can't be done on the side of the desk. And what had occurred to me was that we really lack any graduate or undergraduate education for engineering students in particular um, on asset management principles right like students get introduced to project management if you're coming out of a civil or mechanical stream or really any uh, engineering discipline uh, we certainly have maintenance reliability specialists but this sort of like more holistic approach to asset management is really not something that we're seeing at the university level and um, so uh, fortunately the university of calgary supported the idea of creating a fundamentals of asset management course, a trial course, um, to give to graduate students, fourth-year students uh, that want to kind of explore what topics in asset management are, and so uh, so we ended up rolling that out last September, a uh, 14-week, uh, three-credit course, and uh, you know it it really gives you that high-level look. In terms of what is asset management, what's level of service, what's risk, um, what's what are the stages of an asset life cycle? How do you what's expected life? Giving these students the I, I like to use the term anatomy. I think that's a cool term when we talk about asset management. But this anatomy and this vocabulary um, to prepare them so that either when they drop out, like when they get out of that school, and once they're they're dropped into industry that they're hitting the ground running and can join our teams without having to educate everyone from from the ground up. But also, even if they don't end up in asset management, I want these students to end up in municipal public works groups. I want them to end up on councils and such so that when I'm going back to them and explaining like, hey, okay, you know what, by the way, your condition assessment program isn't something we're going to pull off once and then not do again for five years and expect everything to work out that you've almost preceded these people to understand what needs to to happen and the really cool bit about that is we had 23 students attend in September from a variety of places they came from civil engineering from mechanical engineering from chemical engineering from geomatics or survey engineering Um, feedback was good and Apparently, it's looking like there's interest for about seventy five students to take this course next September, right? Which I think is tremendous. If we can have seventy five students a year being exposed to the fundamentals of asset management, um, I think that's I think that's really amazing. right? That's a
1: great start. But we need that at every university also. And we've had discussions here um, with Doug Getz uh, and others. Uh, Doug Getz is a leading uh, academic uh, asset management uh, uh, academic uh, proponent in the U.S. And uh, we should maybe set up a uh, academy or university asset leadership board. Um, Something that helps us share this across many uh, universities. So go ahead and uh, tell us a little bit about the program.
2: Yeah, for sure. So as I say, the the very first, course is this fundamentals of asset management and sustainability course and we're going through stakeholder engagement and all of these good good things. Um thanks to the positive feedback from the first course and demand from those that initial cohort in April we're actually rolling out an advanced topics in asset management. So focusing on great if I can use the term kids you figured out how to how to you know, establish levels of service, what's customer level service, technical level service, all of this. Now, how are we going to rope this together into writing strategic asset management plans? How are we actually going to put together asset management policies? Um, and then doing kind of that deep dive into ISO 55,000, right? Like, how do I audit a policy and plan based on the principles of, of ISO? And so that'll be half the course. The other half of the course is going to be going Further into a discussion of financial reporting basics, right? So, income expense, depreciation, in particular, like from the public sector accounting board, um, you know, there's idiosyncrasies in terms of how you report your tangible capital assets. Um, And then, a big topic up here in Canada, and I assume growing uh, globally, is how do you account for natural assets, right? What's the value of a tree? A tree doesn't. Depreciate it, appreciates, but the replacement value is not the 200 year old oak tree. it's the you know fifty dollars sapling you buy from holes, right? So how does that all work? And it's actually exciting. Uh, the uh, CSA up here is right now looking at actually putting some standards um, in CSA. Canada. The Canadian Standards Association. is actually striking a group to look at standardizing the valuation of natural assets. So we're going to expose the students to that, how ESG reporting works, because one of my big beliefs is right now we optimize lifecycle costs based on currency, but in the future, it's just as likely that we're going to have to take into account things like operational carbon, right? what are your greenhouse gas emissions from your process and we're going to actually use carbon as a proxy for currency in some life cycle decisions right so that's going to be the second course of kind of trying to tease out financial and strategy aspects in asset management the overall goal is what we would like to do is actually create a little cluster um, of courses and research at the University of Calgary uh, that focuses on sensors and data, software and, and analytics related to asset management, and in particular, policy and process, right? Because at the end of the day, I like to say that policy drives process. You're not doing condition inspection for the fun of it. You're doing it because there's a purpose, that purpose is enshrined in a policy. And so to pull this off, We would like to look at creating eventually a graduate certificate in asset management which would require four courses at the graduate level. And so we've got two down and right now we're looking at, we've struck an industry advisory group and I encourage anyone who's interested in participating to reach out to me. I know our good friend Boyd is is a member of this group um, to help basically dial in what a curriculum would look like. What are these additional courses? that students need to take so that they're ready to actually enter the asset management workforce. Uh, because we don't wanna just build something for building's sake, we want this to be, to be meaningful. And the exciting part is if we can get grad students interested in that, at the end of the day, industry gets trained people, but then we also end up with a whole pile of researchers that can actually independently look at topics in asset management, right? like things like how do you integrate environmental and sustainability impacts into life cycle decision-making? Um, how do you create open source data standards for the exchange of asset management data, right? Um, all types of things that we can have then, um, you know a positive feedback cycle of students turning into researchers, training more students, going into industry, developing partnerships uh, to, to really advance the industry.
1: Excellent, so we've only got a little bit of time in our regular uh, program. Um, We might go into overtime. Uh, Anita Kemp uh, is uh, an academic in Germany, and we might ask her to uh, join. Anita, if you're willing to join in this discussion, will you uh, put in the chat uh, that we can make you a uh, panelist? But uh, Robert, will you tell us a little bit about what you're doing with McElwain?
2: Yeah, certainly. So at McElhaney, I'm the uh, chair of our asset management technical services group. Um, So, as I say, we're a civil engineering and geomatic surveying, landscape architecture, environmental consultancy. Um, And for us, a really important aspect of serving uh, the communities that we work in is providing asset management services, right? In particular, in the First Nations context. And so, so, yeah, so at McElhaney, we're We're really trying to leverage the power of of helping communities know what they're gonna need to do to make their outcomes better and linking that with the consulting engineering services that we can then provide by developing safer water systems, more effective streets, um, and basically better places to live. Excellent. Uh,
1: What kind of clients uh, do you have?
2: In general, we end up with clients in uh, three main sectors so uh, we deal with clients in what we call transportation and transit so um, you know for folks in the states it would be the DOTs um, and folks uh, managing these major transportation corridors. Uh, Cities and communities is another major uh, focal for us so we deal with big cities we deal with a lot of small communities and uh, that's kind of a real important sector for us, if you can call that a sector, because uh, one of the things that's really interesting about our firm is that we have offices in all types of small communities. So we really pride ourselves on tight linkages uh, in the places we live. Uh, And then as well, we work for a range of resource um, firms and activities, uh, ranging from renewables to mines to all types of all types of things.
1: Excellent. Well, um, I am going to uh, close the program for those who have other things scheduled, but uh, I've invited uh, Annette to be um, a panelist and uh, want to introduce you to her. But Annette, before you start talking, let me share my screen. Uh, So thank you to Robert. Thank you to our uh, patron members, our organizational members. Mark your calendars for February 28th for our roundtable on the infrastructure and uh, Infrastructure Investment and Jobs Act. Then February 22nd, we're starting our series of uh, municipal um, web programs uh, from around the world. And we're starting uh, with the Greater Galang. Then we've got so much going on that uh, then we're gonna have the summit. Now, I said Robert was on our international panel. I made a mistake. Robert is gonna be on the uh, transportation uh, panel um, because of all your experience with uh McElhinney. So, um, Annette had a question. And if she unmutes herself, uh, then she'll be able to ask Clive.
3: Good evening. Thank you for letting me speak. And great, Robert, what you are, have um, set up in Calgary. I'm at a university in Germany, and my experiences are twofold. Organizations do have interest in well-educated people, but they they never pay for research. And the question is, how are you going to teach stuff that is more than just practical? And how are you going to advance a field if you're not getting funds for the research and the researchers? You need to pay usually so that that would be one of my most important
2: questions.
1: Thank you. very practical
2: and and hard out of the gate. I'm going to just point out in that like kill an (laughs) idea before it gets off the ground. Um, But a very pragmatic uh, a pragmatic point. So uh, you're absolutely right. At the end of the day, programs can't work if they're not funded. and so there's two aspects to this. So as far as the actual uh, curriculum part and the uh, and the actual development of the courses, that is essentially revenue neutral, right? So this requires sessional instructors, uh, professors at the university who are developing out courses to provide for students and of course at the university um, framework that is done on a kind of a fee recovery basis. One of the interesting things at the University of Calgary in particular, and I think this is at other universities as well, is we have something called an open studies program uh, that we allow, uh, we essentially open up university courses uh, for uh, interested professionals to to take um, at a reasonable cost. And this means that a working professional can register with open studies take for example an asset management course you know the cost is 800 dollars or such uh, and they end up with a university credit those credits don't lead to a degree per se uh, because you'd of course have to be accepted in a faculty to make that work but that does provide an opportunity for interested people to take university level education in what i'm going to call a university construct right so The way I see it, we have professional courses, which are great, um, and they tend to be compressed. They tend to be your three, five day type courses. There's a bit of a different learning experience when something's stretched over 14 weeks and sort of your classical, um, you know, labs, exams, term papers, students um, way of being. So that covers off the teaching aspect. As far as the funding for the graduate students and the researchers and such, Um, You're quite correct. So what we're looking at working on in the upcoming months is actually putting together a funding plan. And generally in Canada, um, you know, I would say the, I'd say a significant proportion of research is in fact, industrially driven, because we do have a very good um, government matching funding system. And so in many cases, industrial funds are matched one for one by various government programs, which defers the cost of investment a lot for those firms. Um, That's kind of a roundabout way of answering your question. Um, You know, but in general, what we'll be looking at as a funding model is having industrial sponsors who value the existence of this program and then direct research contracts, likely with people who want um, questions answered and government funding agencies that want to support that development.
1: So Boyd Beal is about to check out, but we want to thank Boyd for introducing Robert to uh, the ALN before he leaves. Thank you so much, Boyd.
2: And then Boyd's also asked a question about expanding the program to other universities. And the one thing that I'd like to just uh, um, highlight is that you know uh, Dragon had mentioned as well that uh, that in Quebec there is a program as well um, where there's a research cluster on asset management, and this is. Very true, however, I have not found a, and beyond University of South Queensland, for example, a dedicated actual graduate certificate named in asset management. Um, But one of the really interesting things that's happening in kind of a post-COVID world, it's a post-COVID, an endemic COVID world, I don't know. Um, (laughs) But whatever we're living in right now is, the well, I know at the University of Calgary, uh, we're really becoming accustomed to a hybrid course delivery uh, framework, and so you know, doing things like this has become—and I hate the term—the new normal. But effectively, in the courses that I was giving in September, for example, as I said, we'd had 23 students. Of those, um, I know four of them were were international, like literally located in other parts of the earth. Um, Because we can now right so I live stream the lectures. um, 60% of the students will attend in person, the remainder men are watching on video. And I think, to Boyd's point, this actually provides a really interesting opportunity for universities to get together to collaborate so that we're not reinventing the wheel of creating every university has its own particular version of this course, it'd be really awesome. From an asset management industrial perspective if we could actually get together a cluster of um, teachers and trainers who can you know provide these courses on a more global scale. Now certainly yeah. I'm just going to back that comment way back and point out that you know from an undergraduate perspective uh, universities have all types of accreditation criteria and requirements and so on and so forth so it's not as simple as saying cool I'm at the U- UC, Cross-link my course over to, you know, Oregon State, and and away we go. There's stuff to work through, but I think actually amassing a body of knowledge is is really valuable.
1: We've got some other questions, but first I want to see Annette. Uh, do you think that would be valuable uh, with your university?
3: Uh, Yeah, yes, I already um, put it in the chat. I think we are all looking for international collaboration and especially I think for for people and for companies and and users, it would be good to have the exchange also on the student level, not only the international experience of uh, of the instructors, but really to get into contact and build up a network. I think it could be valuable for everybody, but we, we have to make sure that we also get the research on ground because I, I really hate to teach something that is only practical experience and has not been like validated and we have no numbers on whether it works <laughs> and um, stuff like that. So, so doing, doing real research would be something that would need to be added.
2: Yeah, I agree, and you know, I think a couple really interesting developments is at the ISO 55,000 level. Working Group Eight is currently looking at producing, oh, don't quote me, an ISO 55,012 standard, maybe uh, on, for example, people involvement and competency. So we're starting to see, you know, a greater awareness of kind of bringing bringing educators together.
1: And with asset management being, as you said, this the latest version of asset management uh, getting such attention, and it's actually a relative new field, the way it's being presented out of ISO 55,000, this could be a very uh, fertile ground for establishing these uh, interrelated university programs that share and collaborate. So the Asset Leadership Network would love to be able to make these kinds of connections as we are with uh, Annette and and Robert. So there was a question uh, from Cecilia uh, about the course and uh, whether uh, there are plans for uh, uh, dealing with stakeholder relationship management. That's, yes, uh, you you get it, Robert, I'll let you go.
2: Yeah, for sure. Uh, And Cecilia, I think that's, a really neat thing to highlight, right? Um, as I would mentioned earlier, it's the soft part of asset management that's often the least well um, taught, I think. And uh, so in, for example, the fundamentals course that we provided, uh, the students had a, a full, just purely dedicated week to stakeholder engagement. Uh, and in particular, I, I'm not sure how many people are familiar with the IAP2 um, Spectrum for public engagement, uh, but we had actually brought in IEP two trained um, people to actually run students through engagement exercises and really kind of try to highlight the importance that uh, that you know the first part of ISO fifty five thousand is defining scope, but like a big part of that defining scope is in you know defining your stakeholders and appropriately engaging with them. Yes.
1: To that end, Cecilia and I had a call uh, yesterday with uh, the BME Me uh, group, and they've got an asset framing approach uh, that helps people frame a problem. It's not a physical or an intangible asset. It's how you approach a situation. And if you say the problem is, then everything's going to be related to a problem, a problem, a problem. That's deficit framing. Talk about what's wrong. Asset framing says, well, if we fix the roads, more trucks can come and we can get more goods to the people who need them. And, and that mentions fixing the roads, but it doesn't focus on the fact that the roads are horrible. It mentions what happens when the roads are improved and the impact on the economy. And then people are focusing on the asset of what you're working on, not the deficit. And that's a cultural issue that Cecilia and I are gonna be working with to see how we can marry training about these soft parts that Jesse Rothkoff says are the hard parts um, in conjunction with the engineering technical side. So this is really exciting uh, work. And so thank you, Robert, for doing what you have done, agreeing to participate further And uh, I think this is only the beginning. Maybe if we set up some type of um, university asset leadership uh, board or or something, we can have uh, uh, Dragon and Annette and you and others get together with Doug Getz and see what we can do to not have to have all these universities recreate the wheel. And uh, it's, it was really exciting meeting you last week after Boyd's introduction. This call has not slowed my love affair with you down at all. And uh, look forward to your participating in the uh, program at the summit. Annette, thank you for staying up late in Germany to join us and uh, actually for jumping in and asking some questions. So Thank you very much. And thanks to the audience. We had a very strong attendance for this. And uh, clearly there's a lot of interest and uh, we'll, be, we'll be coming back to this again. Thank you, Robert.
2: Thanks, everyone. Really appreciate it. Bye. Bye-bye.
0: We hope you enjoyed our podcast and we would like to thank the Andrew James Advisory Group for their sponsorship. For more information about AJAG and their services, please visit www.andrewjamesadvisory.com or email info at andrewjamesadvisory.com.